thank you that we can gather in your name and there is no one like you. And so we come together to give you praise and glory and honor because you're worthy of it. We want you to have your way in this place. We thank you, Father, tonight for your goodness and for your love and for your, your precious loving kindness that ministers to every need, whatever that might be. We thank you, Father, that in all things we can put our trust and confidence in you. And you've promised to never forsake us. And so we thank you that we can gather tonight in that precious name, that name of Jesus. Bless now this time as we share together. We ask you, Father, for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, tonight we're, we're finishing up our, our series, <laughs> our lifetime, lifelong series. Well, it is lifelong to Believer's Authority. Um, it's a revelation that we need to get a hold of. And um, after uh, 26 weeks, we're going to be finishing it up tonight. Don't know what we'll start next week, but we'll begin with something fresh and something new, I'm sure. And, uh, but tonight we're going to be talking about the believer's authority and uh, how I need to fight to win. I don't know about you, I like to win. You know, and we're in a battle, and in that battle that we're in, we need to we need to fight to win. Um, I always say, the, you know, the, the old saying is, you know, it's not whether you win or lose that counts as how you play the game. That's always quoted by somebody that's never won. Uh, because if you win, you want to win. And, uh, you know, we spent the last little over a week down in... Uh, in Arkansas, and uh, and so um, the first Saturday that we were there, um, Gabe had a, a soccer tournament, and uh, um, his his soccer coach he, uh, he coaches high school soccer too, but he played college soccer, and so he's he's pretty serious about. It. Of course, athletics down there they're a little bit seri more serious than we are up here anyway. So uh, that, that tournament that they played in on that first Sunday or Saturday and Sunday that we were down there, um, <clears throat> he moved them up a whole level. And so uh, Gabe and uh, his entire team, they were playing a team that was uh, um, anywhere from one to three years older than they were. Of course, that age it makes quite a difference, and um, but he, but even at that, he didn't do that. He wanted them to learn uh, so that they could play some stiffer competition, so that they could play better. And of course, this past weekend they were in a tournament in Memphis and won the whole thing. Uh, but uh, so they played in this tournament, and all that all the teams were a level above them. Uh, and um, they came in second. You know, and so even though they were playing with a group that was older than them, bigger than them, faster than them, uh, they were determined uh, they weren't going to 
lay down, roll over, and let them kick them around. You know, they, they lost, the, the team that they lost to, uh, it was the same team twice. One game they lost two to nothing, and the other one was one to nothing. And so it gives you an indication how they, they play, played pretty well with them. But the point that I want us to see is that they, they didn't play to lose, or they didn't play just to do well. They played to win. And uh, we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. We ought not to be playing or working in the battle in our spiritual walk to um, come out even. We need to win the battle. And to be able to win the battle, we've got to recognize that we're in a battle. And so getting into our notes in Roman numeral one, it says, Satan is fighting us with words and thoughts. You know, one of the key things that we've talked about in this uh, teaching on uh, spiritual authority is that the number one way that the enemy uh, combats us is, is through our minds. The battle of the mind. If we, can, if we can conquer the mind, if we can live victoriously in our thought life, We'll, we'll be victorious. But if we can't conquer that, uh, we're, not going to, we're not going to live the victorious life. And so the, so the battle is right between your ears. We can win that battle, we're going to win. Um, words based on or in line with God's or the Word of God, uh, it releases life. And your scriptures in the, your notes is Proverbs 18.21. And it says that Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And you know, and our, our tongue speaks according to our, our thought life, what we're thinking about. And so it says death and life is in the power of tongue, so there's, there, there's might there. So the words that, are, that we say are very important. But you know, <clears throat> I've learned something uh, I'm not going to say something that I've never thought. We're, we're never, we're never going to, we're never going to say something that we haven't thought, because because that's where it's going to, it's where it's going to begin. And so when we we say it, when we begin to speak it out, it says there's death and life in there. And so what are what are we going to speak? Are we going to speak life? Or are we going to speak death? Are the words that come out of us are going to be negative? that are going to lead to death, or are we going to speak words that are positive, that are ultimately going to <clears throat> lead to life, and lead to life abundantly. And you see, <clears throat> that's, that's where part of the battle is, or the b- biggest portion of the battle is, because uh, <clears throat> uh, all of us from time to time want to give somebody a piece of our mind. Amen? Now the problem is, is we really don't have that much mind to waste, you know, and so we really need to hang on to it and, and, and not distribute it because uh, we, we could get in some trouble, but, but that's what we want to do. But see, that's where the battle is. The battle is to, to know when to be quiet, when to say absolutely nothing. You know, I, I got to be honest about it. That's one of the things that I've learned the hard way. <clears throat> you know, I've learned that even grunts can get you in trouble. You know, um, Mumbling can get you in trouble. 
you know, I, I heard that. You know, I, you know, it, you know there, there's, there's death there. You know, but there's death and life in the power of the tongue. And so there's, there's power there. And we've got to recognize that there's power there. Words that are inconsistent with what God says ministers death. Once again, in everything that we do, that's why we always come back to the importance of the Word of God. We always end up back with the Word of God. Why? Because it's what gives us our direction. And so anything that we, we speak out, anything in our life that is inconsistent with the Word of God is ultimately going to bring death into our lives. In Matthew, the 12th chapter, and we're going to look at the 36th and 37th verse. But in Matthew 12, uh, ver verse 36 and 37, it says, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account to it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And I believe the importance of this, it isn't like there's a tally going on that's recording every one of the words that we speak, and so that if we speak a negative word, oop, there's a, there's a negative one. I believe that we reap the fruit of it. You know, to me, that's, that's the condemnation, that's the judgment that's going to come down on us because we're going to reap the fruit of what we say because when we speak something, what happens is we're eventually going to put action behind it. You know, and that's when uh, the destructive part of it comes into play. He says, but I say to you that for every idle word, and so even those things that we don't, you know, we, we say it, but we say, oh, I didn't really mean that. Well, it's still an idle word. It's, it's producing something. It's producing something within the environment that we live in. Do you realize that we create an environment by the, by the, words, that we, by, by the words that we say, by our, our actions and so forth? We create an environment around us. <coughs> You've probably all heard me share this before, but one of the many times that... Uh, we were shopping in Des Moines, and uh, I had reached my max, and so I'm sitting in the hallway, and I'm looking at people, and people are just walking around, you know, everybody, you know, you know. and uh, you know, and I, I'd, I'd walk around, and I'd realize people just wouldn't, they just wouldn't look you in the face, you know, just. And so I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try something here. And so I just started walking around, you know, you, you know, when you're really salt, sauntering, you put your hands behind your back. So I'm just walking through the mall and people look coming, how you doing? And I say, yeah, hi. But, but I noticed I created an environment around me. You know, because people that were, you know, they're probably smiling and thinking, that guy's nuts. <laughs> you, know, you know, but, uh, <clears throat> But it, it created an environment, and we do that. Let's not get too happy over that. You know, you know so we, we create that environment around us, and so we need to, wherever we go, the words that we speak, it creates. There's creative power in the words that we speak. Every word we speak and every word you hear 
are we either producing life or they're producing death. Yeah, that's why the Bible says that we're to guard our eye gate, our ear gate. We're to guard what we hear because uh, it affects us. We may think that it doesn't affect, it, affect us. It affects us. And the number one way that it affects us is that if we hear it long enough, we begin to speak the same thing. We begin to allow those same, you know, same words to come out of our mouth. And so we need to guard ourselves against those things because um, it'll produce death. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Don't be deceived. Don't, you know, <clears throat> don't think that we can handle those situations because really we can't. We may for a while, but it'll, it'll eventually catch up with us. You know, <clears throat> one of the areas where I've, you know, had to uh, deal with people because, you know, going to the prisons, the majority of them are, have dealt with drugs and alcohol and so on and so forth. And so they'll be talking about, you know, how they feel called into the ministry and, you know, how they're going to go back to those areas that they came out of and they're going to minister the gospel there and so forth. And, and I, I hate to be a wet blanket, but I am. And I, I just say, well, you know, that's not God. Well, what do you mean it's not God? He's not going to call you back into that area of death and destruction that you've now been taken out of. And you're going to willfully walk back into that environment. If you've got a problem with alcohol, God's going to call you to the bars. No, that, 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 that isn't going to happen. And so we've got, to, we've got to be wise. We've got to learn that we're going to walk in victory and not in defeat. And so here it says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be so foolish that you allow the circumstances that are contrary to what the Word of God says, that you're going to allow it to affect you. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Um, I'm, what I want to do in this lesson, or what this lesson wants to do, is encourage you to recognize life and death and to exercise more self-control in what, you're, in what you're choosing. In other words, in what we're choosing. Don't choose death because that's how it comes about. We choose it. You know, you look at individuals and you see them in certain situations and <clears throat> I, feel, I feel bad about it. But ultimately you look at it and you realize they chose that. They chose that. You choose to walk in that area, in that situation and that's what it's ultimately going to produce in your life. Choose life. And so in every situation, choose life. You know, and so we can ask ourselves, so if I do such and such, if I do this, what's it going to produce in my life? Is it going to produce life? Or is it going to produce death? Is it going to add to my life and my quality of life? Or is it going to take away from it? You know, and so those are legitimate questions that we need to ask ourselves because, you know, <clears throat> again, we create the environment that we have and we create that envi environment by the choices that we make. 
The other part of it is to realize that we are in the midst of a battle because those choices aren't always easy to make. But if we want to live the abundant life, we want to fulfill the purpose and the call of God in our life, we've got to be willing to make those choices because, well, let me put it this way. If you don't choose, somebody will choose for you. But a choice will be made. And so we need to make those choices. It's through the knowledge of God that grace and peace are multiplied unto us. Like I've said before, I, I love God's economics, his idea of economics. He doesn't use addition. He uses multiplication. And he says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Well, we see this in 2 Peter and uh, in the first chapter, verse 2, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied. Pastor, I need more peace. Well, I want it multiplied unto me. How do you get it? In the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you in the knowledge of God. You know, it would be wonderful if there was a shortcut. There just aren't any shortcuts. You know, grace and peace, the more we know of God and of his blessings and of his promises and of his graces, the more that we're aware of that through the knowledge of his word, the more we'll experience grace and peace in our life. But, you know, without that, um, you know, being raised, getting born again during the charismatic renewal, you know, there was um, this idea that the laying on of hands was the answer for everything. Now, I believe in the ministry of the laying on of hands. It's, it's one of the, well, actually, it's one of the six elementary doctrines of Christ. You know, so it's, it's very important. So laying on of hands is, is very important. But, it, but it's not a substitute. It, it's, it's there to perform and fulfill its purpose and its role. And like I said, many times what we wanted to do is we wanted to use that as a substitute for having to uh, get into the Word and find out what the Word has made available to us. And so I, I believe that this verse is such a key verse in the life of a believer. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge. Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And so it's not just knowing who he is. It's, it's knowledge, being aware of what he's accomplished for each and every one of us. You know, you can, you can know somebody. You can know them by name, but not really know them. You've got you've to talk with that individual. You've got to know what that person stands for and, and so forth. It, it, takes, it takes time. It takes effort to really get to know somebody. You've got to get below the surface. Well, you know, it's the same thing with, 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 with God the Father and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We've got to get below the surface. You know, we've got songs that sing about God is love and this, that, and the other thing, and He is. But you know what? If you don't have a knowledge of Him, <clears throat> at a time of crisis, those are just a bunch of words. 
You know, and that's where people begin to question God. How can God be love and uh, this, that, or the other thing happen? Well, they ask that question, which is the wrong question, by the way, but they ask that question because they don't have a knowledge of him. If they had the knowledge of God, they would have grace. They'd recognize the grace that's available, available to them, and they would be walking in the peace. They would have the fullness of that. And so Satan knows this, which is why he battles us in our minds. If he can keep us from accepting what Jesus has done for us, you know, you've heard me say this many times too. <clears throat> the most damning lie is the lie that's the closest to the truth. And that's what he wants to do is he, he brings these little deceptions, these little lies in to, to get us off track. We don't have to get off track a whole lot. We just have to get off track a little bit because once you begin to go in the wrong direction um, and you stay on that course, without repentance, it'll, it'll lead you down, down the path of ultimate, ultimate destruction. And so <clears throat> we need to be aware of his tactics. In Romans 12, 2, it says, and do not be conformed to this world. And see, that's what he wants to do. He wants to get us conformed to this world. He wants to plant those thoughts and so forth in our minds so that we accept that and we begin to walk in it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the transformation is something that takes place inwardly. It expresses itself outwardly. But it's something that takes place inwardly by the, by the renewing of our mind. In other words, it's, it's by changing the way that we think about things. You know, if we think about things in the same way that we've always thought about things, our minds haven't been renewed. There isn't a transformation that's taken place in our life. We may try with effort to um, use willpower, but willpower just doesn't, it just doesn't last. There has to be a transformation that takes place. And so do not be conformed to this world you know, and so conformity takes place by suggestion. Begins to plant those suggestions in our minds. You, you know, do this, it's a better way of doing it, it'd be more accepted. You know, and so notice even with that, we have to make the choice. But what we're doing is we're choosing destruction rather than life. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when our minds are renewed, when we begin to experience that transformation, what happens? That you may prove, there's a proof to it. It isn't just going through efforts. There's a proof to it. That you may prove what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. In other words, it's demonstrated through our lives. It isn't just something that I talk about is something that I demonstrate through my life. You know, it's, <clears throat> it's easy to be a Christian in church with everybody. The difficult part is on the outside, and that's where the transformation begins to work in our life because we begin to be consistent. We begin to be the same at all times, and, and uh, our, our, our speech, our actions begin to line up with our speech. 
that we may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You know, and so I, I know I've heard some people teach on that, 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 that shows a progression in it, that there's a growth that goes along with it. It begins, we begin by proving what is good, what's acceptable, what's perfect. But you know what, I really believe they all go together. That when we begin to live that life that he's called us to live, and our life is being transformed, and our, our, our uh, minds are being renewed, we demonstrate what is good, acceptable, perfect in, in the plan and purpose of God. If we want to change from being something creepy, crawly, or earthbound into something beautiful, you need to renew our minds. See, that's where the, time, that's where the change takes place. You know, the Bible says that we've been given authority over creeps. You know, the way for that creep to get changed is for their mind to be renewed, for them to be changed, to be them be uh, transformed into the image of God. The way God operates through us is when we get our hearts and our minds stayed on Him. So we have to get our minds on Him, stayed on Him. And that means not just periodically. It means we get our minds, our hearts. You know, the thing about it is we'll never get our mind stayed on him if our heart doesn't follow. Because then we're trying to do it in our own intellect. That's why the transformation that takes place is a heart issue. And so here where it talks about it says, you know, that we, we get that... Um, the way God operates through us is when we get our hearts and minds stayed on Him. That begins to be the, the dominant. That begins to be the primary. That begins to, begins to be the important thing. We focus on Him. And it's not just with our, with our head, but, it, but, it's, but it's our heart. You know, <clears throat> our staying power has to come through the heart. It doesn't come through the mind has to come through the heart because the mind is the battlefield. The mind, you know, that, that's where all the information, all the input comes in. And, and uh, you know, you've been there, I've been there, where um, you're thinking right, but all of a sudden the attack begins to come. And uh, the doubt tries to rise up. But in your heart, you know that you know. And because you know that you know, you begin to speak basically to yourself. And you're, you're telling yourself, you, you just need to shape up here and get in line. But if we don't, if we don't get it in the heart, then, then the mind is, you know, the Bible talks about it being tossed to and fro. You know, James talks about the ship being tossed to and fro by the winds and, and so on and so forth. That's how so many Christians are. They're up, they're down, they're over, under. Why? Because they've, they've heard it, but they haven't established their heart in it. And so when the battle comes, what happens? They immediately yield. They immediately give in. 
And they don't have it in their heart because it's got to come out of your heart where you say, no, that's not what the Word of God says. You know, it's an interesting thing about the Word. We, it, it gets into our minds. It renews our minds. But ultimately what happens is that Word gets down into our heart. And what gets down into our heart, even when we don't have our Bible in front of us, when the attack comes against us, the Bible comes out of us. But it's not just simply coming out of our mind. It's coming out of our spirit being. It's coming out of our, out of our innermost being. And so Satan, <clears throat> the number one way that he wants to hinder God from operating in our life is through our thoughts. And so that's why that's, that whole thinking thing is such a battle. Because that's where the enemy wants to come against us. <clears throat> Being a melancholy, I know of which I speak. You know, because the, the battle is going to be won or lost in, a, in how I think about it. I can, I can have a battle and I can lose it at night in bed before I've ever approached it because of the way that I think about it, what I dwell on that evening. You know, <clears throat> I remember years back when uh, we had one of our first migrations when people left, you know, and... Uh, they're angry at me. It's hard to believe, you know, but they were angry at me. And, uh, <clears throat> um, I, you know, I would, I would drive the kids to school, and every day I'd, I'd meet this one particular person, and, and it, it would bother me because they'd never wave at me. I'd wave at them, and they'd just, you know, for four years, they never happened to look my way. And, uh, you know, you'd, you'd see them in a grocery store, and there's this thing that would try to rise up on the inside of you, and and so I, I said, you know, I, for, I forgave them. You know, and so, so one night I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about this. I'm dwelling on this. I'm thinking about this. I'm laying awake thinking about this. Thinking about this. Just thinking about it. And all of a sudden it hit me. I'm laying here thinking about this all night long and they're in their bed right now sleeping. Yeah. They could care less. And I, I thought, this, this, is, this is absolutely stupid. Do you realize 90% of what you worry about never happens? That means 90% of that worrying is all wasted energy. A lot of us, we, we spend the majority of our life Wasting energy that could be used on something that would be productive. But we, we sit around worrying about it. And so I just said, Father, I, I forgive that. I've forgiven that person. I have forgiven that person. And so if I've forgiven them and I love them, I love that person. I do. Then I'm just going to act like it. You know, What's the old saying? Fake it until it comes. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. And so I'd say, you know, every, every morning I'd wave at that car and the car would go right by. But, you know, I thought, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'd go to the grocery store and I'd see that person and I'd feel it. <laughs> they're, on, they're in that next aisle. So I'd intentionally go down that next aisle so I could walk by them and say hi. But I, I, didn't, I didn't bug them. Didn't torment him or anything, but I'm, I don't have a problem here. 
See, why, why would I act like I have a problem when I don't have a problem? But see, that's the enemy. He wants to get into our thought life and he wants to convince us that, that there's something dramatically, drastically wrong with us because if we've truly forgiven them, then why do I still feel this way? Well, let me tell you something. Forgiveness has absolutely nothing to do with feelings. Thank you for that rousing amen. <clears throat> but it doesn't. Forgiveness has nothing to do with feelings because it's a command. And I can't, I can't make myself feel a certain way. But I can obey. And I can do what the Word of God tells me to do. And if I will obey and do what the Word of God tells me to do, eventually my feelings will get in line. But whether or not I have the feelings, that isn't the de deciding factor as to whether or not I'm walk walking in faith. I walk in faith because the Word of God says. I stand upon the Word of God, and because of that, I do what I do, not because I feel like it. <clears throat> if I go by feelings, well, there's a lot of stuff I do that I wouldn't do because I just don't feel like it. I don't know how I got on this. This isn't even a lesson. But it's, it is. So that's how we walk in faith. I, I don't always feel like getting up on a Sunday morning. Well, Pastor, you have to. You, it's your job. Let me tell you something. If I got up on, on a Sunday morning and went to church just simply because it was my job, I'd have been done a whole lot. I'd have been done a long time ago. I get up and I go to church on a Sunday morning because the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some is, and so much the more as the day approaches. So that's, that's my motivation. Now, the nice thing is, is I get a paycheck that goes along with it, but, <clears throat> but that's not why I do it. I do it because that's what the Word of God says. And so we, we can take that right on down the line with everything that we deal with. Why do we do what we do? Do we do it because I feel like it, or, or do I do it because it's the right thing to do? Because it's walking in obedience to the Word of God. That's why we do it. We obey God because we're obedient, not because we feel like it. And of course, <clears throat> you know, if I get into preaching now, which I won't do, if I were going to preach to you tonight, I'd say that's why a lot of things are going on in the church that's going on in the church today because people are going by feelings and not by faith. But I'm not going to do that tonight. So uh, we, we, won't, we won't do that tonight. So uh, if you want to experience life and peace, you need to become spiritually minded. And uh, <clears throat> there is absolutely no way to be spiritually minded without the Word of God. There, there, there is no way. There's absolutely no way uh, to be spiritually minded without the Word of God. Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is peace. We've got to have the Word of God. Uh, being spiritually minded is being word-minded. John 6, 63, it says, It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. 
The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Man, can you just imagine what it must have been like for those disciples? You know, just think about walking for three and a half years in the presence of the Word. In His words, which were spirit being spoken to you. You know, we see, you know, the, the two disciples after His resurrection on the uh, road where they heard Jesus speak and they said afterwards, said, didn't His words as He spoke to us burn in our heart? But you know, as wonderful as that was, or would have been, we are so far, far blessed above and beyond the 12. You know, I, I believe in the significance and the importance of the anointing. I believe that it's important that when I share the Word of God, when anybody shares the Word of God, that they do it under the anointing. The Bible says it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. But you know, I'm also convinced there's two sides of that anointing. There's, there's the anointing to hear that each and every one of us in this room as born-again believers, we are anointed to hear the Word of God. And so when that word comes to us, it, 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 it ministers life to us because it's spirit to spirit. Now those 12, when they walked with Jesus and the others, that's not what they heard because they were, they were spiritually dead. We have such an advantage over what they had because number one, we're spiritually alive because of Jesus, what he, through his death, burial, and his resurrection, what he did for us. But not only that, we have access to Jesus every moment of every day as he speaks to us through the word, which is spirit. <clears throat> and so when we hear this word, when we read this word, when we digest this word, it is, it is spirit to spirit. And it brings such life when we are willing to hear it. And so that's why the, the Bible, it's talking about Zoe life. It's talking about the life that belongs to each and every one of us by hearing what Jesus has to say. It's thinking on what God has to say about your situation instead of what the world has to say. Well, you know, Pastor, let's pray. Well, it's so bad it's come to that, huh? You know, it ought to be our first response rather than our last response. And by prayer, I don't mean getting down, you know, you rushing out here to the church and getting in the front row and getting down on your hands and knees and begging God to do something. I'm talking about communicating with Him. And that's what He wants to do with us on a continual basis. He wants to communicate with us. But you know what? <clears throat> He's not going to communicate with us as the world communicates with us. He's going to speak to us as the Word would speak to us. Now, it may not be every jot and tittle. It may not be uh, word for word and so forth. 
But when he speaks to us, it's going to be in the context of what the Word has to say. He'll never contradict the Word. And so uh, it's so important for us to have that Word on the inside of us so that we can win the battles. Again, you've heard me share the story of, in fact, I just shared it not very long ago, of when I was uh, in, in South America and, and I just preached in Buenos Aires and flew into, say, Paulo, Brazil and uh, got into, say, Paulo and realized I had to switch airports. And, and so I had to figure out how to buy a bus ticket because everything was in Portuguese and finally got the bus ticket and get to the other airport. And uh, um, they're ready to lock down for the night. I renewed my, my, got my ticket for the next day and said I'd just sleep on the floor, but they said you can't because we lock the airport up at nine o'clock or whatever it was, and so you gotta go someplace, and they said you don't wanna be outside. And I thought, oh, wonderful. And so I asked, you know, I got a hold of a taxi, and he's to take me to this, this hotel, and as we're, it was supposed to be a five-minute drive, and 20 minutes later, we're still driving around, say, Palo, Brazil, and and I'm using that because of this. I could feel the fear rising up in me. I'm down there to preach in Bible school, so, you know, I'm spiritual. But I could feel the fear coming against me. You know, they can stop this taxi and they can roll you and nobody will ever see you again. And believe me, some of the streets that I was in, they would have never seen me again. But then I stopped and I said, and, and I, didn't, I didn't get spiritual about it, you know, with the thuses and the thesis and everything else. I just said, God, I just believe that you've called me to be here to preach the gospel. I'm here to preach the gospel and you're my protector. And so I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the ride and believe and expect that you're going to get me where I need to go. That was the depth of my prayer. And you know what? He heard it because it was in line with his word. It doesn't have to. You, you say, well, pastor, I just have a hard time memorizing. Join the club. You don't have to know it. You don't have to know it chapter and verse. But what you do need to know is who God is, who Jesus is. Because in knowing who God is and knowing who Jesus is, grace and peace is being multiplied unto you. You may not know that by the stripes of Jesus you've been healed. But when grace and peace is multiplied unto you, you know when sickness comes against your body, Jesus took care of that. And so I don't need to have it. Well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Well, let me tell you something. When you're healed, that's about as spiritual as you want to get. But we've got to know Jesus. We've got to know God the Father. We've got to know what he's made available to us. In addition to protection, God's word promises prosperity, healing, and deliverance. All of that is ours because of Jesus. But all of that has to be multiplied unto us because the moment that we get born again, I don't know about you, I didn't know all this stuff. But you know, the more that I've given time to the word, the more that I've heard the word, <coughs> the more it's come alive to me. Grace and peace has been multiplied unto me. Isaiah 45 or 54, 17, it says, no weapon, get that, 
No weapon. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of what Jesus has done for us. We're his heritage. It's not what we've done, it's what he's done on our behalf. Psalms 91, 7 and 8, it says, A thousand may fall by your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the rewards of the wicked. In other words, it's not going to come upon us. We're going to walk in that prosperity. We're going to walk in that peace that he's made available to us. Think properly, and then you'll have grace, joy, life, and peace. What does that mean, think properly and you have those things? Well, that's where it begins. We usually lose it before we get to the point to where we can have it because of the thinking process. In your notes, it says 2 uh, Peter 1, 3 through 4, but I want to back up again and begin in verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, or, or, and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. Not most things, not some things. Has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, if we're not experiencing it, it's because it hasn't been increased to us. It hasn't been multiplied unto us because we haven't <clears throat> made ourselves aware of it. He's not withholding it from us, but we've not made ourselves aware of it. For his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. See, that's where it comes. Once again, it comes through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these, through what? Through these exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Why is this world so corrupted? Because of the lust. Because of the wickedness. You know, everything that God has provided for us, the world has a substitute. But it's always selfish, it's always lustful. Every, every single time. You know, God says, you know, God is love. But what the world has to offer is lust. Because it, it sacrifices others for the sake of self. Where love sacrifices self for the sake of others. 
And so everything is, everything is turned around. And so that's what we see that. So when it says that it's, it's lost, it's lost because it's this drive. There's this drive. You know, we can be going after two, two things. And we can have a godly desire and we can have a worldly desire for it. The worldly desire is, is lustful. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. The godly desire is, God, if that's your will for me, I receive it. It's available. And so it's not like it's, we're looking at totally opposites. You know, we look at the world and we see what, what it has, and oftentimes, but it's attained it by lust. It's attained it by drive. It's, it's attained it by the sacrifice of others. That's not God's way. His way is that we receive those precious promises that he's made available to us. I like, he, he doesn't even just say precious. He said exceedingly. In other words, it's, it's, it's above what it's above what any of us could ever think, dream, or imagine. The antidote to any problem is the knowledge of God. And the Word of God is the knowledge of God. It's God's thoughts. So whatever the problem is, you know, it's the, it's the old billboard, what's the question? Jesus is the answer. Well, that's pretty simple. But it's pretty doggone true. Because he is. He is the answer. You can't be tempted with something you don't think. You can't be tempted by something you don't want. You know, the, the enemy is no fool. He doesn't you know, when I leave here this evening and I go home and I go in the house, he will not tempt me with going to the refrigerator and pulling out a tomato. It won't happen because I don't like them. There has never been a tomato other than maybe pitching it at somebody. But there has never been a tomato that has been a temptation to me to take it. Never. Never. Now, we do have some leftovers. We have some of those candy Easter eggs. Now that'll be a battle. Because I'm not even sure I like them that much. But I think I do. I think I do. And so that's the point. You know, why does he tempt me with that? Because there's something on the inside of you. And so because there's something on the inside of you and you begin to think on that, what he wants to do is get you to begin to speak about that. Because then when you begin to speak about it, it becomes real. And that temptation is real. 
but it's based on something that's already, that's already there. Let's close with this. Romans 16, 19, it says, For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Be wise about evil. Be, be wise about your weaknesses. I, I know I have weaknesses. Uh, after 70 years, I've become aware of some of those weaknesses. And because I'm aware of them, I guard myself against them. Because I know that if I don't, I open the door. I open the way. And I'm not going to do that. And so I've got to close that door and I've got to make sure it's, it's shut. That means there's things that we avoid. That's not a sign of weakness, that's a sign of strength. Sometimes we think, well, I ought to be able to handle everything. Well, if you were Jesus, you would. Well, I'm his body. Yeah, but probably the <laughs> big toe. Yeah. I was thinking lower than that, but I thought better, better stop while I'm ahead. <clears throat> no, we, we need to be aware of our weaknesses. And we need to help others. And uh, so anyway, that was the authority of the believer. The authority of the believer evolves around the mind. Uh, we, we, we've tried to make spiritual warfare into something that the Bible doesn't even talk about. You know, we've tried to make spiritual warfare into nothing but um, fighting devils and all that. There, there is that element of it. But um, the, the devil's defeated. Our responsibility is to continually remind him of his uh, end. It's known as a lake of fire. And, uh, but that's not ours. Ours is victory. So uh, be blessed. Have a great rest of the week. And uh, we'll see you Sunday, if not before.